podcast. It's called the Matthew West Podcast. I really hope you like it. My people, I've got to tell you about a company that my wife and I have totally fallen in love with this year. It's a company that is not only changing the air quality in our home, but they're also changing the world. I'll get to that in a minute. First, if you love essential oils, you've got to check out Simply Earth. Their essential oil boxes they're sending to our house are making our house smell incredible. More importantly, they're making the air toxin-free. And if you're a parent like me, you know how important it is now more than ever. We want to make sure our kids and ourselves are breathing in toxin-free air. They send this awesome box every month. It's over $150 value, but you're just paying $39 a month in subscription. So unlike the big companies, you'd be paying a lot more. Simply Earth is making simply a Affordable for every family to have clean air and a great smelling house. Each box has these different recipes. Every box has a different theme, which is super cool. In fact, I'm I'm holding one of the bottles from my box now. It's called Palmarosa, and I'm gonna take a sniff. You gotta check out Simply Earth. Here's the most important thing that I love about what Simply Earth is doing. In addition to making our homes smell great and making the air toxin-free in each one of our homes, they're changing the world and they're giving us a chance to join them. They donate 13% of their profits to end human trafficking. That's a cause you and I can all stand up for and believe in. Listen, my wife and I are going to buy essential oils from some company. If I can buy it from a company who I know is changing the world, that's what I want. So here's what you can do. Go to simplyearth.com slash west and use the code west to get a free $20 gift card with your first recipe box when you subscribe today. simplyearth.com slash west. Use the code west. Check out Simply Earth. You'll thank me later. What's up, my friends? Welcome to the Matthew West Podcast. I am your host, Matthew West, and I hope you really like it. (laughs) Country version. Ready? I hope you really like it. (laughs) Whatever version you prefer. You've come to the right place. Hey, just admit it. You love the theme song. Don't act like you don't. I know. I know it's stuck in your head. And you get mad at me. And guess what? That was all part of my evil plan. <laughs> you know, I'm thinking it would be cool. I should do a contest of some sort, giving you a chance to send me your version of the Matthew S. Podcast theme song. And then maybe I pick like a grand prize winner and you get like some really cool prize. Like, uh, I don't know, imagine being magically whisked away to a faraway land where there is no COVID. (laughs) I don't think there is such a place. Besides, how many of you feel comfortable flying anywhere right now? So yeah, if I do this theme song contest, maybe not a trip for two anywhere, but uh, you'll get a nice coffee mug. Or something. I'll think of something. But uh, TBD, I believe you say. To be determined, stay tuned for more details on that contest. Let's see what else. I got to tell you, it's feeling like fall in Nashville. Don't get me wrong. It's still 85 degrees and uh, humid. But I got to watch some high school football the other night, which was super cool. I spent a little more time watching the sidelines, though, because my daughter is the greatest freshman cheerleader in the history of the world. And if you disagree with me, if you think your kid's better than my kid, then I will fight you right after this episode. (laughs) But I'm serious. 
Ah, it felt good, though, to be under the lights and doing something strangely normal. Normal stuff seems strange right now. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? But I'm proud of you, Lulu. She's doing such a great job. Also, I hope you all had a great Labor Day weekend. I hope your Labor Day weekend was filled with cheeseburgers and incredible sales on mattresses, <laughs> whatever else you did. I hope it was a great Labor Day weekend. Also, just want to take this opportunity to say thank you to, well, I want to thank a few different groups of people right now. Speaking of Labor Day, I want to say thank you to the first responders. You know the ones, the ones that run to the trouble when everybody else runs away. I'm thinking about the firefighters that I was just watching on the news who are trying to contain all of these wildfires in California. Unbelievable footage. Thank you to the firefighters. I want to say thank you to the police officers who are protecting us, keeping us safe. They've been under unbelievable scrutiny right now and so much turmoil around that, but there are many men and women in uniform protecting us and keeping our nation safe, not to mention the men and women protecting our freedom, serving in the military and the armed forces. We thank you. We thank you. We thank you. Last but not least, I want to thank the doctors and the nurses who continue to be on the front lines in the fight against COVID. We are grateful. Every day is a day to be grateful, and that's exactly what today's guest is going to remind us about in a powerful way today. My guest today has written best-selling books and has done talks that have inspired readers and audiences around the world. His teaching principles have been put to the test by numerous NFL teams, NBA, Major League Baseball, coaches and teams, Fortune 500 companies, school districts, hospitals, and nonprofits. I mean, across the board. And as you'll hear about in this conversation, even middle school classrooms via Zoom. Because, well, 2020. He's the author of numerous incredible books, The Energy Bus, Bestseller. The No Complaining Rule Training Camp, and my personal favorite, The Carpenter. He's just released two new books that I highly recommend. You've got to check out his book, The Garden, and a book on relationships that he and his wife wrote together called Relationship Grit. We'll give you all that information of where you can find those books. John is a graduate of Cornell University, holds a master's in teaching from Emory University. Everything John does oozes positivity, and you can't help but be encouraged when you're around him. I'll give you an example. Just today's post on Instagram. By the way, his Instagram handle is at Gordon 11 He said five ways to win today. Number one, control what you can control. Number two, let go of what you can't. Number three, replace fear with faith. Number four, speak truth to the lies. And number five, believe the best is yet to come. You're going to be inspired in a big way today. Let's go to the story house with my friend, John Gordon. In a normal year, in a pandemic-free year, you're traveling around the country and around the world as much as I am, if not more, correct? Probably as much. I wouldn't say more, but yes, I'm traveling every week, a number of cities per week, speaking to audiences around the country, sometimes the world. And 2020 has looked a little bit different for you as well then? Yes, now I'm at home and I'm doing a lot of Zooms. I asked my wife, I said, on a scale of one to 10, how much do you like to be married to me? She said, pre-COVID or now? 
And then you probably didn't seek any clarification after that. You didn't want to know the rest of the answer, right? <laughs> no, I just said I want to stay within the seven and eight range. That's my goal. <laughs> I always come home and after being on the road and I say, honey, on a scale of nine to 10, how much did you miss me? And uh, see, I try to leave little margin there, you know, nine to 10. <laughs> when she doesn't pick one of those numbers, I know I'm in trouble. But My wife said six one time when I asked her. <laughs> Well, we need truth tellers in our lives, I guess, huh? <laughs> totally. So here's the deal. You travel around the country and the talks that you give, I've been in attendance at several of those. We've done a lot of events together. After hearing you speak or even just the one-on-one conversations we've had, I've left fired up to the point where I'm ready to like either train for a marathon or run through a brick wall or whatever it might be. I'm just like, I remember we did an event together in Florida and I heard you speak and it was like, I couldn't go to bed that night because I was just like so fired up after hearing you talk. So when you speak, you give life to the audiences everywhere. But those events, I'm imagining if it's anything like my concerts, those events are life giving to you as well. And now with those kind of all off the books, like how have you adjusted to that? Like not being able to like be in front of that audience like you are throughout the year. It just looks different now. It does. And that means a lot to hear you say that. But for me, the same vision and mission applies. So I still want to encourage and inspire as many people as possible, one person at a time. And now I'm just, I'm doing it via Zoom. And so even though I'm in front of a camera, I love it when you can actually see people, which happens often. So I'm sharing it and then I'm getting some feedback from the people that are listening, whether it's in the chat or they ask questions afterwards. So I'm still feeling that interaction. It's not the same as being on stage, but I still love sharing what I'm sharing. Just like you playing your music, you're still getting feedback on Instagram and via YouTube and all the social media channels that they're responding to you. It's right. not the same, but we're still doing what we do. We're still putting it out there, just finding different ways to do it. And do I miss the travel and the, and the live audiences? Yes. I miss seeing people. Yes. Right. I can't wait to get back to that. Right. But, yeah, yeah. but, but doing it this way, I still feel like it's actually allowing me to reach more people in some ways. I just yeah. worked with UCLA football, right. Then I'm doing Texas coaches and now I'm wow. doing Minnesota Timberwolves and then I'm doing some companies and then realtors. I, I zoomed with middle schoolers yesterday in Washington. Awesome. <laughs> I love that. And before we're done talking today, I want to see if I can get you in with some of the Chicago teams because uh, those are my teams and, and I need some winners. And I know that you can inspire <laughs> some winners if you haven't already been to uh, some of the Chicago teams. We got to make that happen. No more Minnesota Timberwolves, okay? <laughs> Matthew, I was with the Cubs last year and I did not help them okay. that much. So. <laughs> But you know, you're exactly right about those Zoom calls. In fact, a friend of ours who has an awesome nonprofit organization called Samaritan's Feet asked me to join a sort of a charity Zoom call. And I get on and I'm in the waiting room or the green room, they called it, waiting to go on to speak for a few minutes. And whose face do I see on the screen before me? You and I did the same event together and we're in different states. And I want to tell you, like what I heard you speak in music, the true test of a song is if it can be carried and communicate and be strong without all the bells and whistles. So when the full band plays it and the light show's going, it sounds great. But if you stripped it down to just guitar and vocal, does the message still speak? Yes. And 
I think about that when you're talking about how these Zoom calls are different and all the diversity of the speaking engagements that you're still having from an MBA team to a group of middle schoolers to a nonprofit thing that I saw you do the other day. And when you speak, it's like strip all the bells and whistles away, the stage, the microphone, the lights, whatever, the polished presentation that you may have normally when you travel around the country. Your message still speaks because it's a message that goes straight to the core of something that so many people are dealing with right now, which is discouragement, disappointment, dreams not coming true the way they thought, unwanted surprises hitting their stories, and your message is still speaking in a big way. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah, that's the key, right? Are we speaking truth right now into this situation? And you know, I know this so well because I lost my job during the dot-com crash. And so I didn't have insurance for my kids. I didn't know what my future held. I only had two months of savings in the bank account. Wow. I was young. My wife was young. I was stressed and fearful. And I was not passing the test well at all back then. And my wife almost left me because I was so negative, because I was so miserable. But that's when my faith was born. It was really Mm. born during that time when I cried out and I said, God, please help me provide for me and my family and I will do your work. That began that journey. And yet I think about it often, like now it paved the way for me to do this work, to be a light for others during this time. And so someone said to me the other day, like, you were born and your life was created for moments like this. I truly believe that. Like now is when I could share this message of hope that will uplift people. And people are saying, John, I really appreciate your messages right now. I'm getting texts and emails. I'm sure you are as well, Matthew. And it's so funny because I'm sharing the same message that I shared last year and the year before, but people right. are really hearing it now. They need it now and we are here to, to share it. So I, I see it more as a not an obligation, more of a gift, but it's something that I have to do. I was born to do. I must do now more than ever during this time. And I know that I went through that time to prepare me for this time. Oh, no doubt. So what career were you in when that hit? I mean, were you doing something totally different than you're doing these days? I mean, now you you speak full time. You've got these best-selling books. You're all over the place and you're encouraging people everywhere. What kind of profession were you in? Was it similar or totally different? I was in the dot-com. So I was in a wireless software company, business development. I sold the NFL on NFL wireless. So we provide the NFL with their ability to actually deliver scores via mobile devices. That's how early we were in this industry. And so we did that. I had like 100,000 shares. I thought I was going to make my millions. Wow. And then everything came crumbling down because we weren't making money (laughs) as a company. It was a great idea, but like most dot-coms, we crashed, the market crashed. And I remember the day I got called that I I lost my job. And so it was really a, a great time to ask, what am I born to do? Why am I here? And writing and speaking came to me. I didn't think I would ever do that before. I didn't know that. It just literally came to me. Like God basically called me at that moment. Like, that's what you're gonna do. And I didn't know what I would write and speak about But I knew that I wanted to be more positive because I had struggled with negativity for a lot of my life. I grew up in a a Jewish Italian family, a lot of food, a lot of guilt. And (laughs) we never, we never went to temple or church or, or anything like that. My, my parents weren't believers. My mom was Jewish. And so I didn't grow up with, with any spiritual foundation at all or any religious foundation. We didn't talk about God much, although I always felt like that there was a God that was interested in my life that was looking at me when I would lay down, I would look up at the sky and I felt God's presence. I remember that often throughout my life. 
That's interesting to me. You know, my dad's a preacher, and we've talked in the past. My dad has said this, and I'm sure others have said something to this effect before, where oftentimes a preacher is speaking a message that they themselves need to hear. And I've experienced that in my life as a songwriter. I call them boomerang songs. I asked the Lord to give me arrows so my songs would be arrows and shoot straight to the hearts of somebody who needs to hear it. But sometimes on stage, I'll feel like those arrows turn to boomerangs. And I feel Mm. like the Lord's saying, no, no, this song is for you right now. And so for you to come out of sort of a, you wouldn't necessarily call it a negative upbringing, but you weren't surrounded by a lot of positivity. I guess that's just interesting to me how the foundation of your speaking has evolved out of that. Do you still struggle with negativity like everybody else? I think I know the answer to this question, but have you mastered the art of what you yourself teach? When I'm on my own, I'm fearful. With God, I'm faithful. And so, yes, I still struggle like most people, but I really do have a strong faith foundation. That is what has ultimately given me this positivity that I have. So the work that I've done, I've had to walk the walk as you have as well. You sing these songs, you got to live it. If you don't, you're a fraud, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And there are times that I do feel negative. I tell people, I'm a pessimistic optimist. I go negative first, and then I have to find the positive. I find this eternal hope and belief and faith that somehow, some way, it's going to work out. That's what happened during this whole coronavirus thing. When it first hit, I was hit hard. I was going negative initially because my whole business, all of our trainings, all of our speaking engagements, all of our revenue to pay my employees for our livelihood was just literally going down the drain. And all these events were being canceled. So at first I got negative, but then again, I found what I teach. I found what I believe. People say, what have you learned during this time? And you know what I've learned? I've learned that my faith is real. I've learned that I have grown since that dot-com time when I lost my job. I've learned that all the work I've been doing and sharing and teaching with others, I am now able to live myself. But this journey started when I just wanted to be more positive myself. So I was writing what I needed to hear. Yeah. The main character in my book, The Energy Bus, you know, my biggest bestseller is based on me. George is miserable and negative and his, <laughs> yeah. his team at work is in disarray, his problems at home, his wife wants to leave him. That was based on me. So he was really easy to write. And so many people have resonated with George and The Energy Bus and the story because it was based on my own life. I want to talk about that. I actually wrote some things down from that book specifically, but you use the term dimmers. Describe what a dimmer is. Well, a dimmer is someone who they don't have that light shining in them. They basically are just going through life at 50%. They don't have passion. They don't have joy. They don't have love. Then there's energy vampires in the energy bus that will suck the life right out of you. So you got dimmers and you got energy vampires who will just drain your energy if you let them. And I I love this quote from Gandhi. It said, I will not let anyone walk through my mind with their dirty feet. And I think that's a great quote because so often we allow the negativity from people outside of us to affect us. I remember telling my dad, I want to be a writer and speaker. I found my calling dad. And his response was, what the heck you want to do that for? Really? He said, that's a load of junk. That won't amount to anything. He said, just focus on doing what you do. That's a load of, you know what? He used other words, my dad. Yeah. And a couple of years later, I, I got on the Today Show. And I remember as I was leaving the Today Show, he called me, me up on the phone. He's like, your mother, I just saw you on TV. You really made a difference. We're so wow. proud of you. We always knew you could do it, is what he said. He didn't remember being negative. <laughs> and it wasn't like he was trying to be negative, but he was a New York cop. So where we grew up, 
you don't become a writer and speaker. You run a restaurant. Right. You do something very practical, not dreaming to be a speaker. And right. so he just didn't see the, the practical reality of that. Yeah, some people can't see the vision until it's already come to fruition. And it sounds like he saw it in living color on television and said, that's my boy. I always knew he could do it. <laughs> what did that mean to you when you heard him say that? How were you able to even stay positive in that moment when you might want to go, hey, wait a minute, you doubted me all this time. Like having that validation and that pat on the back from your dad is, I mean, how many people go through life and they never got that? And a lot of times that drives so many of us in our lives. I'm thankful that I've always had a dad patting me on the back, but I realize I've been in the minority in that. So when he calls you, yeah. that sounds like a full circle moment in someone's story. How did you respond to that? Well, the story is even bigger than that because he's not my biological father, actually. He raised me since I was five. Wow. My biological father left when I was a year old. And so I did have abandonment issues a lot of my life. Hmm. And when I chose to forgive my biological father, it's when I stepped into my calling and my destiny. And we still don't have a relationship to this day, but I forgave him for being the kind of father he was. And then I had this dad, though, who raised me since I was five and he really did love me. Like he treated me and my brother as his own. I'll never forget him saying, I want you to call me dad and I'm going to treat you like my own. And he did. And wow. so he was a very, so he was a very loving man and he was my coach in baseball. And he always did give me belief when I was younger that I could do sure. anything. So I had the foundation of, I could do anything. As I got older, for some reason, he said that in that moment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I had such a strong foundation by that time that when he said it, I just laughed at him like, yeah, whatever, dad, and sort of blew him off. And then when it happened, I didn't say I told you so. I just sort of laughed when he said that. <laughs> we always knew you can do it. And then years later, he would come to some of my events and he said, I've learned not to doubt you. <laughs> and then he said, I've learned to be positive around you because he really started to work to be more positive. And he passed away a few years ago. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so when he passed away, I mean, that was losing my dad, you know, the dad that raised wow. me, not by blood, but was truly my father. And so we've always had this great relationship, but I was the one who always battled back with him because he would go after people in our family and his kids and they right. never stood up to him. I always stood up to him. He respected me for that because he was this New York cop. So he liked my strength, actually. Yeah. And so we had this interesting dynamic that way. Well, and to take another term from that book, The Energy Bus, it's crazy to think that you actually became, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like you became an actual energy ambassador for your own dad. That was one of the terms you use, somebody who's carrying positivity to somebody who would otherwise be a dimmer, right? I mean, you were yeah. able to encourage your dad and he started to pick up on that. He did. He saw the difference when he was around me. He really worked to be positive. He would be negative around the other family members, but not me. Wow. And so he knew that, hey, he had to be positive. So I, I think I lifted him up. I helped him be better. But like he was a New York City cop. When we would send our kids with him for the weekend, they would come back. Oh, <laughs> hey, um, grandpa taught us something. What did he teach you? Oh, the bear claw. What's the bear claw? And it was like how to like take someone's neck out with your fingers, <laughs> oh, you know, yeah. for survival. Yeah, just like, a like, little a rough around the edges existence, Yeah, my daughter right? was five. You know, my daughter was five and she'd come back. <laughs> Learning survival time. <laughs> no, it was. It was survival techniques. And he'd be like, Jade, if you're alone and this happens like that, she's five. It's okay. <laughs> right now. <laughs> Use the word forgiveness 
And I can't help but find a connection in terms of all of your teaching and your talks and your books. They're all about just the power of positivity and the positive thinking. And forgiveness is a battle. I've encountered people who have displayed forgiveness in such a powerful way. I think of a single mom who brought herself to forgive a drunk driver who took the life of her daughter. And I remember being so moved by that story. But John, being honest in my own life, going, I have a hard time forgiving the person who cuts me off in traffic, <laughs> let alone somebody who abandons me or attempts to, God forbid, harm my family, like that story. But when you talk about even forgiving your biological father, what stage in your life were you at when you were able to actually take those steps of forgiveness and what helped you to do that? And I'm curious, just like what kind of freedom that came with that? It was right before I actually started writing. And so I couldn't write until I did that. It wasn't like I was trying to write, but I just couldn't. Like you felt a block? Yeah, I felt a block, but I don't even think I was even trying to write. I just didn't even see myself as a writer then, but I started writing after I went and forgave him. So it was like, I had to clear out the old and forgive in order to allow God to move into my life. Hmm. And so that is when everything started to change. When I went up to New York, I was living in Florida at the time with my you know, wife and kids, brought my daughter with me and I forgave him. And I did feel a lot of peace. I did feel this incredible, overwhelming feeling of freedom wow. when I forgave him. So I was no longer holding on. And I don't think I gave my life to Jesus yet at that point, but I was listening to sermons and I was now being open to the right. possibility of Jesus during that time. So God was working in my heart. He was changing me from the inside out. And that was part of the process of changing me. I look at it as like energy, right? And so we have this pipeline. And if you have sludge in your pipeline, which is holding on, then God can't flow through you. But if you remove the sludge and you forgive, now God could flow yeah. through you with greater power. So I see this visual all the time when I think of it that way. The word that just popped in my head that rhymes with sludge is grudge, you know? I mean, mm. it's that the opposite of forgiveness. And the theme of this podcast is all about the power of story and encouraging people to look at their lives as a story. The Bible talks about how God is the author and perfecter of our faith. He's the author of all stories. And too many times, many of our lives are spent with this constant battle, trying to take the pen out of God's hands and thinking we could do a better job writing the story the way we want it to go. And I think about how many times, what you just described about having a block in your actual writing, how that applies to so many of us in the writing of the stories of our lives, of just, we've got that sludge that you talked about. We're trying to write a new chapter, but we haven't dealt with some of the old broken chapters. In your experience as you travel and you speak to so many people, speak to so many individuals, what do you say to those folks who are, they haven't dealt with, it's almost like sweeping things under the rug until there's a giant mountain in the middle of your living room and people just go around the rug instead of actually kind of facing what's in front of you. How important is it in life in order to move forward and to be positive, to deal with some of the junk in your story that you've been avoiding? First, I love the way you approach it as a story because we know God is the ultimate storyteller. So I just love that whole mindset approach. And when you look at life, when you look at our lives, you know that we are all on a journey. We're all on a story. And we have to overcome conflict in any story. Without conflict, without struggle, there is no victory. So every main character in any movie has to overcome something. Right. And so on, on our journey, we have to overcome the conflict we have. We have to overcome 
the past that we have. So I believe we all have wounds. So every person has a wound that needs to be healed. Mm. The enemy wants to infect your wound and make it worse and sabotage you. But God wants to heal your wound. Mm. So the way I look at it is that if you allow God to heal the wound that you have, you can then rise to the next level, to the life that he has called you to live. But you have to make sure that you're allowing that wound to be healed. There's something called constraint theory which says that you will never be able to rise above the level of your constraint. And so your constraint huh. keeps you from rising to a, to a greater level if you don't deal with the constraints holding you back. Your wounds, your pain, the burdens of your past, the things that you may have dealt with, the abandonment that you feel. Right. All of those things are holding you back. And we see all the time actors, professional athletes, whose wounds eventually catch up to them. The constraints catch up when they don't heal them. So the constraint eventually will sabotage you. But if you can heal the constraint, heal the wound, then you literally will start moving towards the destiny that God has for you. And like in your writing, you felt freed up to begin writing. And you've written all these books since. I'd say you've you've gotten rid of the block, but you know, you're so right. And I meet so many people who are allowing those chapters in their story that could be titled disappointment or abandonment or damaged goods or whatever it might be, they're becoming the defining chapters in their story because they're never dealing with them. And by ignoring them, they're actually becoming the main theme of their story and preventing them from seeing God do an incredible work through the rest of their story. Because the reality is the rest of the chapters can be the best of them. And you know, what's interesting when I hear you talk, John, and this is, this is the cool thing is I've heard you speak in different capacities and much of your speaking is to Fortune 500 companies, you know, these major league teams. And I think about how many self-help books are published every year. Yeah. They're published, released, and consumed every year. And some would maybe put your books in the category of self-help. I don't know. But what I pick up when you speak and what I pick up in your books, even especially in The Carpenter, you know, the last name of the main character, (laughs) Emmanuel, which for a Christian means God with us. And I just pick up on all these themes. But it feels like you know that we need a help and a strength and a hope greater than ourselves. So self-help indicates that we would be pointing the reader within to find, hey, all the answers you need lie within you. But when I hear you speak and when I read your books, it seems like you understand that there's something greater going on and really someone greater that we need. Totally. And I'm so glad you said that because I hate the term like motivational speaker because that's not what I see myself as. And I don't even think of myself as self-help at all because I know that I'm pointing people ultimately towards God. Like we are only positive as we can be. We all fall short. Mm. And so we need a greater source of strength. We need a greater source of power. And that purpose, that love, that joy, that passion that God gives us is what causes us to be positive. And so we can't be positive on our own. Now, when I'm walking, Can I practice gratitude? Yes, because when I'm thankful, I can't be stressed at the same time. So if you're feeling blessed, you won't be stressed. And so every day, if you're doing that, practicing gratitude, thank you, God, for this life you have given me. Thank you for this moment, even right now through this challenging time. And when we're grateful for God, to God, it's amazing how he changes our life. So for me, I started taking these walks of gratitude years ago. Initially, from a positive psychology standpoint, where I'd be thankful, then they start to turn to walks of prayer. And God started to move through me in a a greater and and deeper and more powerful way. So that's one thing. Another thing, like one of my favorite techniques I talk about all the time is to talk to yourself. Don't listen to yourself. 
And when I share that, I'm talking about the negative voices that are always coming in from the enemy, the fear, the doubt, the discouragement, the distortion, the lies, the distractions, and the division. Those are the five Ds. There are five Ds the enemy uses to try to sabotage you. And so you have to understand those five Ds and that's his game plan. And the key though is to speak truth to the lie. So when you look at Jesus in the wilderness, that's what he did. He actually gave us the blueprint and the game plan on how to do that. It is written. It is written. It It is is written. written. Oh, that's so good. And so you speak truth. So all of my work is grounded in biblical principles, even though they might be considered secular work, like The Power of Positive Leadership. That book is taken off being read by leaders all over the world. And yet, if you look at The Power of Positive Leadership, I wrote it as secular language, but Jesus's principles for how he led. So I measured every principle against Jesus and said, did he lead this way? And he did. But now my next book coming out is called The Garden. That is where I'm coming out in the open. And that is a spiritual fable. That is about the Garden of Eden. That is about Jesus reconciling, right? Reconciling what happened in the garden. He reconciles us on the cross to God. So I'm now coming out just saying, this is what I believe. And it's going to be interesting what people say when they read this book. I think it's going to speak to people in much the same way the rest of your speaking and books have done. And you know what? That's a unique gift. And I know you know this, but for God to expand your territory and give you a unique ability to communicate with those even outside of the faith-based world. While you yourself know that the driving force of your life is your faith, you've got this unique ability to communicate to people. And you know what I think about in my own life, John, is a lot of people don't know this, but my first 200 concerts around the country, I was not billed as a contemporary Christian singer. I was booked as a secular singer-songwriter in every college campus from here to Devil's Lake, North Dakota. Oh, wow. And I played for two people, three people, four people. And I would ask the Lord to give me guidance because here you're playing for some crusty college kids, right? I remember (laughs) one at University of South Dakota at 12 noon, they put me up in the cafeteria and that's where the people were. And I sang while the kids got their food in the cafeteria line. (laughs) No, so you're going and speaking at Clemson, you know, to the national champs and I'm at University of South Dakota getting tater tots thrown at me. But, you know, one of the things that I felt like the Lord was beginning to to equip me with was the ability to communicate to different audiences and the same truth being able to resonate regardless of who's listening. And we know that God's love is something that will draw people to him. And you had this unique ability to speak to different audiences. So I'm excited to read that book, The Garden, but yet your faith comes through loud and clear in the other books that you've written. And it's not like an undercover thing. It's who you are with a unique ability to communicate that. And I love it. You've had these speaking engagements one after the other, right? The times I've heard you speak, it's always ended with the crowd responding in the form of a standing ovation. Now, as an artist, I got to be honest, like when I get a standing ovation, like it feels good. I'm not going to lie. It feels good. It feels (laughs) like, hey, I brought my A game. My A game's being recognized. And sometimes I can sort of lose sight of who's really supposed to get the credit. I'm just being honest. You know, people might be offended that a Christian artist just admitted that sometimes that's a, a struggle with me. But I'm just curious. So I haven't seen every one of your speaking engagements, but every time I've seen you, I'm like, this guy's batting a thousand. He's getting a standing ovation every time. I have two questions. Okay. One, Have you ever had a speaking engagement where it felt like it 
fell flat or the crowd didn't erupt in applause afterwards or it just didn't meet your expectations and maybe you felt like you didn't meet theirs? Totally. Many times. And I don't always get a standing ovation at all. Like <laughs> I can totally relate to what you're saying because there are times when you get off and, and you're looking to see, are they standing up? <laughs> but they're not. <laughs> and that's when I'm at my worst. I'm going to be honest. When I am looking for the approval of the crowd is when I know that my wound is showing up and I'm not getting that attention or recognition maybe that I'm looking for. Wow. And so in those moments, I know that I'm really not being my best for God and I'm not being missional for him. It's really about trying to satisfy the wound to try to fill it up rather than filling it up with God. So if you fill it up with God, you don't need anything to fill it up. And I know in those moments that I'm not at my best when I'm doing that. So I know when I totally don't care when I'm just sharing it then that's when it actually always seems to come when you don't really care. (laughs) I really relate so much to your story because when I had you on my podcast, you told me about your journey. Well, my first 80 talks were done for free. And when I went on my book tour for the energy bus, my publisher wouldn't even pay for it. And I went to 28 cities and we had five people in one city, 10 people, another 20 another the most but we had matthew were 100 people in des moines iowa they thought jeff gordon was coming that's why they showed up <laughs> they were excited they had nascar jerseys on <laughs> exactly and that's not a joke that's a true story so that's amazing so here i am speaking and i remember speaking in a whole foods and people are walking around getting their food and no one's really listening so i did the same thing you did i had to speak and work on my craft at all these different places yeah. the energy bus didn't become a bestseller for five years And so it took five years. So I'm going out hustling, speaking to all these different events, and I would accept any event that I would get. So I would go speak everywhere and anywhere. I spoke in the middle of the cornfields in Nebraska and Wisconsin in the dairy farms. I've spoken all over the place throughout the country, but that's where I worked on my craft. That's where I worked on me. That's where God was molding me and shaping me. Like, is it about you or is it about the message, John, is it about yeah. you or is it about you doing the work? And he made me so humble during those times that, as you know, when I watch you the same way, that's why I just love you so much because I think because of the, we had to do the work we had to do, it actually now makes us really do the work for the right reasons. And so as other people may be struggling right now because they're not making the big checks, I don't care. I'm still doing the work I'm doing. I did it back then. I'm doing it now. And I actually have that renewed energy and passion. Like I'm just getting started again. Dude, I am so right there with you. Like I've been thinking about it. Like, wait a minute. I started my career with a guitar and a green Honda Civic and some CDs I printed in the trunk that I couldn't give away. And you know what? I made it work. And I had some of my most rewarding experiences traveling around the country. And I've thought about that over this time of quarantine when our family's on lockdown. I've been thinking, you know what? Wait a minute. If it's all stripped away, I still know that the Lord's called me to do something. One, I know he's going to provide for me. And two, it might look different. But you know what's interesting to me? And I'm sure you've had this experience. I'm curious if you can think of one that comes to mind. But a lot of times I think I had this idea of what the most memorable concert experiences will be for me. Yep. Obviously, it's going to be the stadium or the arena with 18,000 people and just this incredible experience. And I'm so blessed to be able to say that I've had some of those moments that I thought would be like, we got to play the Mercedes Benz dome and 30,000 people there on a tour called winter jam. And I don't think my feet touched the ground the entire time. Right. (laughs) But I'm going to tell you, if somebody asked me what's your most memorable concert experience, 
I would probably point to the maximum security prison in the state of Florida on a Sunday morning watching 200 inmates serving a life sentence. Praise God, like I had rarely seen before in the hundreds of churches I've traveled across the country, as if they knew what forgiveness was about on a deeper level than I would ever understand. It's sort of the irony of our idea of success versus God's idea of, hey, the closer you get to the center of God's will, it may look totally different than you thought, but it's going to be way better and way more fulfilling. Have you had some moments like that where you're like, okay, I, I was way off. Lord, this is the most fulfilling place to be. Totally. I remember just speaking at FCA camp to just the coaches of an FCA camp, not even to a big crowd, just at breakfast and just having a great conversation with them about life, about God, about leadership. And you just walk away and you're like, this is what it's all about. Huh. Even those middle schoolers yesterday, the questions <laughs> they were asking. That's what I was thinking about. And the conversation we had, because they're doing the energy bus as part of their leadership program in their class. And so this teacher uses that book as a part of the curriculum. So here they are teaching each other the lessons every week. And then I get to interact with them. And it was so cool just to interact with them and to walk away and to go, wow, like I just had this really cool interaction with these 12 year olds and 13 year olds it was just incredible. So I get that all the time. I mean, in terms of you always think it's going to be the big stage, right? I've done the 6,000, 10,000 <laughs> yeah. person event yeah. and those are pretty epic. And those are awesome when they're big crowds and they're cheering yeah. and you don't even, you don't even have to be good and they're still cheering for you that day. But at the same time, when you can have an impact and you feel God's presence there and you just have this yeah. incredible relationship, it's the best feeling in the world. It sounds like you and I can be similar in that way where like, I'll just beat myself up like crazy. If I get off the stage and feel like I didn't do a good enough job or I struggle yeah. with that so much. And yet there's been more than one occasion where shows where I was like, this, this is my worst show. This is why I did terrible. Then somebody will share with me how God spoke to them that night. And I feel like it's a tap on my shoulder going, hey, this is not about you. God doesn't need to use me, but he is going to use me and speak through me. And guess what? When it's all said and done, there will be no credit that I can take. And there's no credit that John Gordon can take. It's all of us pointing to the one who's speaking through us. And when we get off base, I love how you said that that's the, what did you say? That's the wound speaking or? That's the wound. That's where you're trying to fill up your wound to feel good with recognition from others, mm. praise from others, Gosh, rather man. than allowing God to fill you up. And what you're talking about, I feel with writing, when I write my books, like I know God is writing the book through me. Every book I've written has taken about three and a half to four weeks. Oh, never longer. <laughs> Come on, man. That makes me mad. Not my wound speaking. Cause I'm jealous that it only takes three or four weeks. You know why? Cause I know it's not me, but Oh, I did. You came incredible. up with some songs over quarantine pretty quickly, I would say. <laughs> so, you know, when it's meant to be, it's meant to be. That's incredible. Yeah, when God gives me the book. So people always ask me, wherever I go, they're like, hey, do you have a ghostwriter? They think like I have someone who's writing the books for me. I also must not look smart enough to write a book. <laughs> but <laughs> I don't know. I see a graduate of Cornell University with a master's from Emory. I'd say you're ready to go. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. I was I majored in lacrosse at Cornell. I did not get in because <laughs> of school. I was a good lacrosse player. But when they ask me, I say, I don't have a ghostwriter. I have a holy ghostwriter. And God <laughs> writes the books through me. That's great. But I really believe that. Like I know I can't take credit. So I almost feel weird when people tell me, oh, your book changed my life. Because I really know that God wrote the book through me, and I can't take credit. I got to point to him.
Most of your books are written in the form of a fable, which is, you know, this short story that has this moral at the end. Is there a particular reason why your approach has been predominantly through these fables, which I love? I get wrapped into the story and I'm following this guy, George, who is humbled by having to ride the bus. And you know what I mean? It's just, and it's almost like the moral of the story, you see it coming, but then it still kind of sneaks up on you, like the coffee bean. But is there a reason behind that? Or is that just how your writing style evolved? I believe it's because the story is what God uses to communicate to us because we are in the story. We are living a story and people connect most through stories. It's where they remember when you speak to an audience, they don't remember a lot of things you said, but they remember your stories. When they read a book, they put themselves in the story of that book. They can relate to the characters. So they take the lessons with them in a more powerful way than just a how-to book. So I believe that I'm just meant to write stories. I I never knew I was until I wrote The Energy Bus. It was my first story I ever wrote. And after I wrote it, I thought, wow, I really like that. So I love writing the story and teaching the lessons through the story, like the garden. I had this vision of two teenagers, they're twins, J and K, and they learn these lessons from their neighbor, Mr. Irwin, because he has this garden in his backyard and he shows them the garden and he starts teaching them about the Garden of Eden, the lessons from that, using the backyard as as the metaphor to explain it. And so that's how we're going to learn best rather than saying, okay, learn these lessons. Now you learn through the story. We know the Bible is a series of stories. Songs are stories. I wanted to tell you this. I don't know if you knew this or not, but the word universe means one song. Universe, ah. one song. We are living in the one song. Ooh, I like that. The one song, the one story. My friend Randy Frazee talks about how there's a lower story going on that we're all a part of and that we're seeing play out. But then there's the upper story that God is writing. There's the one song yeah. that we're all having a part to play, a role in the story, a song to sing that the Bible talks about how his ways are much higher than ours. And he's authoring this upper story, this bigger picture that we get to be a part of. I love that. I don't think I ever put that together that universe means that. That's really cool. Okay. So if a reader picked up one book, this would be the equivalent of somebody asking me, what's your favorite song? Right. And I, I can't stand that question. So I don't even, <laughs> I should take back this question, but you know, I, I'm just curious, like when, when you think, when you're meeting somebody for the first time, you meet a flight attendant on a plane and he or she's like, well, what do you do? It's like, have you ever had those conversations? Like, oh, I'll have to check out your books. Like what's the one book you would point them to? I'm just curious. Definitely the energy bus. It's by far my most popular, I would say, start there. But people say the carpenter is probably my best book, is what people say. But really good. Training camp is my favorite. Training camp's my favorite. Training camp. Okay. Did you notice like a book like Training Camp wind up opening the door? Did you start getting more calls from sports teams as a result of one book or another? I look at the list of people and groups that you've spoken for. Are there certain books that have put you on the radar with certain types of professions? Energy bus is really what got me out there initially because all these coaches started reading the book. Now, I never wrote it for sports. For me, it was the business world I was trying to get involved in, but Jack Del Rio read the book. Wow. He then invited me to speak to the team. He got copies for the entire team and everyone in the organization. He even got it for the custodial workers, for the food service folks. Everyone read the book. That is awesome. He wanted to get everyone on the bus and all thinking the same positive way. So after that happened... 
Mike Smith got the job with the Falcons and he became the head coach. Mike Smith was the defensive coordinator for the Jaguars. So he saw the impact of the energy bus. He brought me to the Falcons and we went from four and 12 to 11 and five with Matt Ryan as a rookie yes, quarterback. Yeah. So the first time I spoke to the Falcons, Matt Ryan was a rookie. They read the energy bus as a team. So from that word started to spread with all these different teams. But then when I wrote training camp, that came to me on the way back to the airport from speaking to the Falcons in 2008. The first time I spoke to them, I had this idea for training camp, a book. And then other people started reading that. So that cool. helped me get into sports. And yeah, Dabo actually read training camp. That's how we met because Chad Morris got the job as his offensive coordinator. Chad had read it before that happened and he just picked it up in a bookstore. He saw it on the shelf staring at him and he picked it and he looked at it and he said, Training camp, there's a whistle on it. It's about excellence. Right. It looks good. He decides to read it, blown away by it, brings it to Dabo and he gets hired. <laughs> Dabo reads it. Then Dabo starts to use those principles for the team in 2011 to turn around the program. Best was the standard. After that, I get a call after the season. Hey, we just used your book this year, which is really weird because I started watching all the Clemson games, not even knowing they were using my book. And I started really liking this team that I never liked before. So God was doing something. <laughs> and then they invite me to speak that next year for training camp. Uh, so and think cool. about that. Because Chad Morris picked up the book in a store randomly and then gets hired yeah. by Clemson. And then my kids would now go to Clemson. And I would work with Clemson for the past eight years. Oh, that's incredible. I didn't know your kids went to Clemson. Yeah, they went to Clemson. Only God could do this where I would actually work with this team. And when I first got there, no one knew much about Dabo. No one knew about Clemson. But I love what you just said because it's that acknowledgement that it's not, okay, well, I made this strategic move. I hired this publicity company to make sure that they made the right connection. And because I did this points A, B, and C, it got me in with a national championship football team. Instead, you're acknowledging and seeing it play out in a way that only God could orchestrate him putting you in this position of influence. And I, I just love that. When we look at our stories in that context, it's written in such a way that you can't make this stuff up and we can't create it ourselves. I have to tell you, I haven't told many people this, but what makes this story even more remarkable when I think about it is that my biological father actually wanted me to be an abortion. Wow. And it almost makes me tear up to say that, but my mom said over my dead body, like she wow. was going to have me no matter what. And I often think like, what happens if I, if I wasn't here, wouldn't have my family, wouldn't have my kids, we wouldn't be having this conversation. And you just have to trust that God had a plan for my life. He has a plan for your life. He has a plan for everyone who is listening. You are here for a reason. You're not an accident. He has a plan for you and he's called you for a greater purpose. And you have to live in that and walk in that. I've always had this childlike faith knowing that God has me here for a reason. And through all the struggles and all the obstacles, I continue to move forward yes. knowing that I'm here for that reason. And it's not for me. Ultimately, at the end of the day, yeah. it's going to be, did I serve others? Did I impact others? People always ask me like, what's your end game? The end game is this. When I'm gone, someone meets my kids and they say, hey, I read your dad's book or I saw him speak and he made a difference in my life. That's really all that I want. Wow. And that's exactly what you're doing. Thank you for sharing that part of your story, too. One of the things that I ask every guest is, you know, I talk about a blue couch moment in my own life. And it's basically another way of saying a defining moment in your faith. For me, it was sitting on a blue couch in my childhood home in Chicago, watching a Billy Graham crusade by accident, and just having a moment where I just 
felt like God was speaking to me. I felt like there was a knocking at the door of my heart, and I prayed a prayer that day, and it just impacted my life in a deep way and set my story on a new path. I actually bought a blue couch and bring it with me when I'm on tour I love it as an illustration and a reminder. But I'm just wondering if there's one last blue couch moment that comes to mind of a moment where you felt God whispering to you and your answer was yes, because I think it's important to anybody listening to this right now who's just thinking about like, hey, who's the author of my story? There does come that defining moment where we make the choice. Am I going to be the author or am I going to hand the pen over and I'm going to trust God and ask him to be the Lord of my life? Can you think of a blue couch moment that you'd want to share? So many, but there's one that just keeps coming to mind when you're talking about that. It was when I was listening to a sermon from Erwin McManus and it was called Why I Follow Jesus. My friend Daniel Decker gave it to me and I'm listening to it. And for the first time, Jesus came to life for me. Wow. For the first time, for the first time, I was like, wow, maybe there is something to this Jesus. And I remember saying, God, if there is something to this Jesus, I'm open. Like, show me the science, God. I'm open. And that was a defining moment because that's when my heart first became open. It's when my soul became open. And my life has never been the same because God started showing me the signs. Mm. I have to share one other moment because this is pretty wild for most people. I didn't find Christ necessarily through like a church. I went to go see a Buddhist energy healer because I was having problems with my stomach. Hmm. And this guy worked on colons and so forth using Thai organ massage. It's this whole thing where he works your stomach like we would give a massage in your back to try to get all the toxins out and so forth. So he's working on my stomach area and I'm starting talking about these signs that I'm seeing about Jesus. Everywhere I would go, I'd see Jesus is the answer. I was literally driving to Orlando and I'm looking to the left. I was actually going to give a talk. And I'm looking to the left and I heard, look, and I turned to the right and there's a sign that says, Jesus is the answer. <laughs> and the coolest thing is there's a sign that's still there. It happened to me not too long ago, but I was going to Orlando again and it said, Jesus is still the answer, which is wild. Oh man. But I tell him I'm seeing these signs. He said, oh, John, oh, that makes a lot of sense. He said, Jesus takes our soul pain. He saw soul pain as like sin. He goes, Christians call it sin. He takes our soul pain. We can't connect to a perfect harmonious, energetic God if we have heavy vibrational energy. So he takes our soul pain so you can connect. I said, can I take someone else's soul pain? He said, can you handle your own? (laughs) He said, Christianity is like spiritual cheating. He said, I'm trying to be a Buddhist. I'm trying to attain an enlightenment on my own. He said, but as a Christian, all you do is believe and receive. And Jesus allows you to connect to God. And I walked out of there really understanding that there was a God that would want to take my burden, take my pain, take my sin, take my soul pain, as he called it, and wanted me to connect to be closer to him. And that literally made so much sense to me. When I walked out of there, I said, that's it. I'm going to give my life to Jesus. So it was literally Erwin McManus and a Buddhist energy healer that literally led me to a life that Christ lives in, that lives through. I gave my life to Jesus. And it was a defining moment. I was baptized not too long after that. I was 35, 36 years old. I love it. And that's when I wrote The Energy Bus shortly after that. And that's when I started writing all these books. So like who I am after and who I am before is so radically different Yeah, that I was changed from the inside out. And it's not like, oh, you believe in God, you're going to write books. Like, hey, it's magic. You believe in God and this happens. No, my faith in God doesn't make life easier. It made me stronger. And 
through the cleansing, through the healing, now God was able to speak to me. And through those voices and through that intimate relationship with him, I was now able to live the purpose he had for me. And that doesn't happen without Erwin and Don Van Vliet, the blue couch moments. You know, John, it just reminds me, and hopefully this speaks straight to somebody listening right now, that God is always speaking. He's pursuing each and every one of us. And the question is, are we paying attention? But somebody might be listening right now and just be thinking, okay, wait a minute. So John Gordon had a blue couch moment at, at, what'd you say, 35 years old? Yeah. 35. There's so many people out there, John, who, who feel like, ah, too much of my story has been written. If God ever had a plan for me, he doesn't anymore. And yet Jeremiah 29, 11 reminds us, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. And I love that scripture that it was written in present tense, the plans I have for you. He doesn't say I had plans for you <laughs> and then you screwed it up because of the choices you made or because you waited until it was too late to allow me to be the author of your story. He says, no, I have plans for you right here in this moment. And so just an encouragement to anybody listening today that if you feel like God's speaking into your heart, that's not John Gordon talking to you. That's not Matthew West talking to you. That's God knocking at the door of your heart saying, hey, let me in. I will change your life, and the best chapters of your story are getting ready to be written. John, it's an honor to have you on this show. When I got to be a guest on your podcast, which I'm going to tell all the listeners to go find, especially your interview with the not-as-good-looking Matthew. You interviewed Matthew McConaughey <laughs> recently. I was a guest on your podcast, and I left encouraged by you. And so I just want to make sure that before our time is up that you leave encouraged in just knowing how your words have impacted me, and I'm thankful that I get to be friends with you, and just you are an encouragement to everyone you come across. And so thank you for encouraging and inspiring our listeners today, and I know you're going to continue to do great work. I'm excited for your new book, The Garden. I just know that God is going to continue to speak through you everywhere you go, whether it's a Zoom call for middle schoolers or an NFL live locker room. You stay faithful. And I know that God's going to continue to honor that. So thanks for joining me at the Story House, John. Hey, thanks, Matthew. That means so much. And it's pretty cool for me to be friends with my favorite musician. <laughs> Sorry, Jeremy Camp. Matthew's my favorite musician. <laughs> it's really cool to be friends with you, to be able to know you and then to be able to listen to your music is such a great feeling. You always have encouraged me all these years, and I just appreciate you so much. Uh, thanks, John. I'm glad the Lord has made our paths cross, and I'm going to cut out this part of the interview and send it straight to Jeremy Camp so he knows <laughs> that uh, he's number two. So, John, you're awesome, man. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you. Now it's time for Songs from the Story House. Today's song from the Story House hits close to home. It's a song called Too Young, Too Soon. Too young, too soon This world lost you Hearts break in two Too young, too soon For years I've been writing songs inspired by the true stories of people's lives The good, the bad, and the broken Always, though, writing that song in the hopes that it would highlight the redemption that God offers us for each of our lives, no matter how wounded some of the chapters of our stories may be, there is hope that God can redeem those stories and somehow, some way, work them all for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose, just like Romans says. But sometimes it's so hard to even see how that's going to take place. And that's the story of Sam Llewellyn. 
Sam was one of my daughter's classmates, always had a smile on his face. I wrote about it in the first verse of this song. It's not just a made-up situation. It's a moment where I saw my daughter on stage and I tried to be the annoying dad at the Christmas play, trying to get my daughter's attention, waving and shouting. Lulu didn't notice me, but Sam did, and he pretended I was trying to get his attention. He turned right back at me and mimicked every motion I was making. I'll never forget that, and that's why I wrote this verse. Hey there, Sam, that sure was some smile on your face Standing on the stage in the fifth grade Christmas play You were everybody's friend and nobody's enemy But there were storm clouds deep inside you Nobody else could see what was really going on And now we can't believe you're gone To look at Sam, I never would have guessed that he was fighting a hidden battle that he was battling with depression and his parents had been helping him through that journey. On August 19th, 2018, precious child of God, 13-year-old Sam Llewellyn took his own life. 13 years old. My heart breaks all over again just saying those words. I'm taken back to showing up at the school along with all the other parents and seeing an entire room full of students just crying, nobody understanding what happened and why. Even the teachers and the staff trying to keep it all together, but filled with questions. What, what did we miss? What didn't we see? What more could we have done? How can this happen? God, where are you in the middle of this? Why Sam? Why is he gone? Why did he feel so hopeless? It was during the memorial service for Sam that I actually had the melody and the words to this song come to me. Too young, too soon, this world lost you. Too young, too soon, this world lost you. Hearts break in two, too young, too soon. For weeks after that, I couldn't bring myself to sit down and write that song. It just didn't feel right. It felt too soon. But that melody stayed with me. Those words refused to leave me. And finally, I sat down and decided I needed to write this song. I needed to write this song for Sam. I needed to write this song for any other kid out there who's fighting a hidden battle of their own. They say everybody's fighting a hidden battle of their own And I fought my own enough to know it's true But sometimes lonely makes it hard to see that you're really not alone We would have gladly stood beside to fight your fight with you But now we ask God why I never thought we'd have to say good I also wanted to write this song for, well, for my daughters and their classmates as a reminder to maybe take a second look at the person who's sitting to your left or your right in class, that person whose locker is next to yours, that person who may be quiet, but deep down they're crying out to find a friend, to be seen, to be heard, to be known. We can never underestimate the impact that our kindness could have on somebody's life. One of the things I pray for my daughters every morning before I let them get out of the car is, Lord, give my daughters eyes to see who needs their friendship today. Help them to be a good friend to other people and to be kind. 
September is National Suicide Prevention Month, and that's exactly why I wanted to shine a light on this song in this episode. If you or someone you know is struggling with depression or thoughts of suicide, you can call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255. You can also reach out to my ministry's website at popwe.org. That's P-O-P-W-E.org. You can submit a prayer request. You can know that we will reach back out to you and help connect you to some resources that will bring you encouragement in your difficult moments. We serve a God who promises that He can and He will work all things for the good. Even the tragedies in our lives can become redemption stories. My prayer today is that Sam's story can be a redemption story in the way that it inspires you and me to be a little kinder as we walk through the world today. To ask God to give us eyes to see somebody who needs a smile, an encouraging word, somebody who needs to know that they are seen, they are loved, and they are not alone. So be kind, speak love, go find someone who needs a friend. Reach out your hand, don't point. Don't laugh, life's too short for that No clicks, start now No one left out Cause hearts break into Too young, too soon Hearts break into For the too young he is my dad and he gives good advice and that's why this last segment of the show is called dad vice he is my dad and he gives good advice and that's why this segment is called dad vice dad how's it going today Hey, I'm doing fine, Matthew. Thanks for having me. We just had a great conversation with John Gordon, which was just so uplifting, and then really just spent some time unpacking the story behind the song, Too Young, Too Soon, an important topic, the topic of suicide and depression. And uh, I just wondered if you could send us out with an encouraging word, maybe even on that topic today. I would be glad to. What a powerful message that song is, number one. It's so moving and touching. And what a timely message on suicide today. I looked up some statistics, and of course, we all know that suicides have been increasing during the pandemic. Suicide is a 10th leading cause of death in the United States. Every day, 123 Americans die by suicide. There's one death every 12 minutes. Mm. Suicide claimed the life of over 47,000 people last year. I quickly want to speak specifically to those who are battling suicidal thoughts, those who have a friend or loved one who is struggling, and those who have lost loved ones to suicide. Now, we know, first of all, there are many factors that bring a person to the thoughts of suicide. All of us sometimes face thoughts of saying, boy, is life worth living? But thoughts that lead us to even think or contemplate suicide are things like battling depression. Depression is big today. 
and that can lead you to the thoughts of suicide more than normal. Hurts and past trauma, mental and physical illness, social standing, drug or alcohol abuse, hopelessness, fear. There are many factors, so it's important that we look out for them, and if you're facing any of those, be on guard and be ready to fight against the spirit of suicide. Here's a great quote. People are most driven to suicide when they view their current situation as being completely hopeless. And if you are struggling with suicidal thoughts today, we want you to know that God loves you and he knows what you're struggling with. He has made a way for you. He wants you to know that your situation is not hopeless. He wants you to know these things. I just wrote down four of many things. One, there is light in your darkness. When facing suicidal thoughts, the devil wants us to think that it's all dark. Yeah. Here's what Jesus said, First John 1, 5, the light shines in darkness and the darkness cannot overcome, overcome it. it. Yep. John twelve forty six. Jesus said, I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. So there is a light in your darkness. Secondly, Jesus wants us to know there is always a way out. First Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure. What does suicidal thoughts say? There is no way out. Or there's only one way out. Yeah, only one way out. And then thirdly, God says there is a plan. Jeremiah 29, 11, and Matthew, you quote this often. I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a future and a hope. And we got to get a hold of that verse. Yeah, we just talked about that verse with John Gordon, and I was just sharing about, I know the plans I have versus I know the plans I had, you know, people feeling like there's no hope because they've screwed up God's plan for their lives, you know, that the the past is going to define the future. And I love that you keep pointing to scripture here. This is exactly what John talked about that Jesus did when he was tempted in the wilderness. He kept combating the enemy's lies with the truth of scripture. And we have the power to do the same because of the gift of God's word that he's blessed us with. Yes. And we had a friend in our church when we pastored in the Chicago area that was battling depression quite a bit. And he would get very depressed when he would lose a job. One day he told me he had suicidal thoughts and he parked his car in front of his house and walked to the train depot and was going to step in front of a train. The Holy Spirit spoke God's word that he had memorized to him, and it literally saved his life. And that leads to the last point, that there is help. God wants us to know there is help, help through his word. There are others that will be willing to listen. And for those of us that know people that are struggling with suicidal thoughts, let's be there to help them and to encourage them. But we thank God that there is light in your darkness. There is always a way out. There is a plan. There is a help. And I close with one of your favorite scriptures, Matthew, also Psalm 34, 18. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and save those who are crushed in spirit. God will give us victory today. If you're facing battles and it looks all dark, turn to Jesus and then search out for help. Find a friend so that you can talk to them. 
That's a great word, Dad. The Bible reminds us that we are called to carry each other's burdens, and too many times we ignore the hurting and the needs around us, and this is a moment where we can be brought back to the reality that many people are struggling with depression, many people are contemplating ending their life, their life that is precious, their God-given story, they're tempted to cut their story off too soon. So I wonder if you would just close us with a quick prayer for anybody who's struggling in that area today. Yes, I'd be glad to. Lord, we thank you that you are the light that shines in darkness. And for those that are facing darkness today, the darkness of suicide and the devil's trying to come to tell them that their life isn't worth living, may they feel the Holy Spirit's presence. May you just come and save them. And Lord, may they realize that you have a great purpose and plan for their lives. So we lift up those that right now, Jesus, may they see hope in the midst of hopelessness. And we thank you that there is life in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Well, that's our show for today. I want to thank my guest, John Gordon, for inspiring us all. I want to encourage you to go check out his latest book, The Garden, and the book that he wrote on relationships with his wife called Relationship Grit. Also, just be sure to follow him on social media. For all the noise in the world, every time he posts something on Instagram, it is so encouraging and fires me up to focus on being grateful and filled with thankfulness, which is something that's tough to do these days. We're going to post all of John's information on the show notes at matthewwest.com slash podcast. That's matthewwest.com slash podcast. And if you need somebody to talk to, if you need to pray with somebody, or if you'd like to receive some encouraging devotional materials, just like the message my dad just shared, we have a ministry in place to be there for you right now. You can go to popwe.org, P-O-P-W-E.org. You can read some inspiring stories. You can submit a prayer request. You can sign up to receive a free weekly email devotional that we write sent straight to your inbox to remind you that God loves you, God is with you, and he is the author of your story. So go to popwe.org. God bless you. Have a great week, and we'll see you next Wednesday. Seriously, I, I, I do.